Welcome back to another episode of George in the Jungle. I am Aaron Smith, joined as always by George Vogel. And uh, this week we do have a special guest for you, being that it was a bye week for your Cincinnati Bearcats and the Reds are unfortunately not playing in October. So with that said, we bring you Coach Rick Minter joining us, looks like, from his office in Michigan. Uh, Coach, welcome to our show. How you doing, guys? Appreciate you having me on. Coach, great to see you again, man. It's been a while. It's been too yeah. long. I see you in that Michigan hat. Tell us what you're doing right now. Well, fellas, I've served my, my son, first of all, Jesse Minter, is the defensive coordinator here with the Michigan Wolverines entering now the second season. And I've been an analyst here for these two years. Uh, what an analyst is, in this case, is a father uh, who was asked to come join the program by Jim Harbaugh when he hired Jesse uh, because he believes in having his father around a lot. So it's all in the family. But an analyst is more of an advanced scout person more than any other singular duty. Uh, I'm currently, we play IU this weekend. Uh, but what I'm on right now is I'm already on Michigan State, because that's our following game. So my job is to, in between meetings and practices, start digging into what Michigan State does in the run game in particular, as we have other analysts to handle other aspects. So I kind of work closely with the staff on the run game, sit in on the D-line quite a bit, uh, serve as an advisory there. But uh, there's limited things you can do as an analyst other than most of your conversations are with the staff and not so much with the players other than just friendship. It's got to be better than you could imagine what you would be doing at this point, working with your son in that capacity. And also, um, I know a lot of people from a distance and, and think, you know, they think a lot of things about Jim Harbaugh, but you've got a pretty good relationship with that family. I mean, you know, with John being here. And, yeah. And now your son's working for Jim. And that's yeah, it all, yeah, George, it all started in reality. John and I met each other way back in the 80s, working the Michigan camps, the summer camps. I worked for Ball State. A Michigan man was the head coach. I had inside connections to get up here. Uh, certainly, John had connections working over at Miami of Ohio as a young coach way back then. Uh, when I took the job at Cincinnati, John Harbaugh was on the staff, and I retained him. He stayed with me for another three years or so, 94, 5, 6, went over to IU. Ironically, we're playing this week worked for Cam Cameron for one year, then John got in the league, been in the league ever since. But Jesse was just a young tight when uh, John was around. And so after the 2016 season, of which I was out of the NFL by that time, working with Jesse down at Georgia State, jobs were tough to come by, as they always are. I just picked up the phone and called John, and I said, John, you need to do us a favor and get Jesse in the league. And I'll be darned if he didn't create a job Got Jess up there, 17, 18, 19, 20. And uh, that got him on his way, broke him away from me a little bit, which was good just to learn a whole new way of life and coaching. And then uh, he hooks up with, you know, other Bearcat guys like Don Martindale, who had worked for me, Don, uh, Jerry Rossberg, all those guys that come through UC was on John's staff. And Jesse became part of that family. And then he got the job at Vandy. And then when Mike McDonald left here to go back to the Ravens, of which Jess and Mike had worked together with the Ravens, uh, the door was wide open for uh, John to tell Jim 
that's what happened. When Mike left to go back to, to John, it's kind of like musical chairs. Jim says, well, what the hell should I do now? You just took my D coordinator after one year. He says, well, go to plan B of the year before you were going to hire Jesse Menner if you didn't hire Mike. And that's kind of how all that worked. So it's kind of in the family now. And then as soon as he hired Jesse, he says, hey, by the way, what's your old man doing? What's your dad doing? And that's why I'm here. So uh, it's great. It's fun to work with him. Uh, he, he's growing immensely in the business. He's he's kind of getting hot in the business. Of course, we're playing well, but it's just fun to be a part of it. And more than anything, as you mentioned off air, George, uh, he's got three beautiful grandchildren. And so I am have the ability to see those guys, uh, Millie, Monty, Mac, quite a bit. Uh, living here in the same town. So it's a real blessing for me. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and I'm very happy for you. And you got to be proud of your son. And what a meteoric rise. And uh, I'm going to say something about you before we get, you know, started on, on a little bit of your history and getting into UC. Um, and, and you remember this, that GCL banquet, um, UC let you go in a late November, I believe, it was it was late November, but anyway, that week you're supposed to speak at the GCL South Banquet, the football banquet, and I'm hosting this thing, and I'm thinking, no way, this guy who just got let go by UC is going to follow. Yeah, but you showed up, you did the banquet, you did the speech, people loved it, and I just thought that was a classy thing after what had happened for you to do that, and that just says a lot about you as a human being, and that impressed the hell out of me. Well, I appreciate that, George. Uh, one, I've made an obligation to do that. Uh, I, I love Cincinnati still to this day. It's been the biggest thrill of my life. It was to be a head coach. Cincinnati gave me that opportunity. Uh, was I distressed or distraught over being let go? Sure. We had worked hard to build the program, uh, but you're not going to change their mind once they call you in and tell you what they're going to do. And you have two choices. Walk out of there with your head up high and, and try to show class and humility uh, or pointing fingers and all that sort of thing. And for me, I took the high road and and uh, went ahead and did that. I, I got fired on a Monday morning officially. That I think that bank was like maybe Thursday night or Tuesday right. night. I forget one of those nights. Wednesday or Thursday, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, we turned right around and had our football banquet also over at the school on um, maybe a Saturday or Sunday night. So I just felt like I needed to put closure uh, to my team, and that still was the 03 team, which was my team. And we did it the right way. And uh, But I, I've always admired all the people, both yourself, all the people on the TV networks around, uh, the folks of Cincinnati. It's a great city. I mean, I could still end up retiring there someday because I love it so much. So uh, it's a great place. And I enjoyed my time there. And I was very blessed to be there 10 years. Yeah, you came here in 1994 as the head coach, took UC to four bowl games, did some things people weren't sure was possible. When you came in, uh, take me back to 94 because, um, you know, Tim Murphy had been the head coach and, and he geared to have this big year and he kind of used it as a springboard for yep. another gig. Uh, you came in and the cupboard was bare, man. I mean, I don't know how you did it. How did you do it? Well, it was a lot of really a lot of hard work uh, from a lot of people um, coming out of Notre Dame. I look back on it and, you know, if you're the coordinator at Notre Dame, you're pretty hot. We had two great years. You know, I don't know if you're to take a UC job that, that was in the state at that time, uh, but I did for more personal reasons than anything. And it's because my two boys, J Jesse and my older son, Josh, we were divorced family. They lived in Muncie, Indiana. 
two hours from uh, Cincinnati. That was a big part in me choosing to go after that job. And uh, it worked out. And uh, it's ironically, the first game I coached at, at UC was against IU. That's who we play this week. Huh. And uh, Bill Mallory uh, was the head coach over there, rest in peace. And his two sons, his two older sons, Mike and Doug, are both analysts right here with me. So everything's kind of in the Michigan, Harbaugh, Mallory family. But, uh, you know, I found a tough gig there. Uh, they graduated a lot of starters off that uh, 93 football team, which was really good. Uh, they had a nice year. It was Murph's only winning season, but it was eight and three. Right. And if the bowl system was what it is today with the plentiful 40, 44 bowls, whatever there is, UC would have been in a bowl way back then. But they did not because there was probably 30 at that time, maybe 28. And uh, being a, a mid-major that didn't have any history of going to bowl games, uh, none so ever in 48 years, right. then uh, uh, they got left out. Murph took off to Harvard, and, and I love Tim Murphy. He's a great guy. He's still at it at Harvard. I mean, so all this bouncing around my 10 years, all this travel I've done, uh, 10 or 12 stops since then, Murph has just parked right up there at Harvard, done a tremendous job. He wins a whole lot of ball games, and he does a great job. So I found the program uh, in a bare cupboard of talent, but they had worked hard to get it up to where they got it. Uh, we were two years away from entering Conference USA. We formed the uh alliance the liberty bowl alliance in 94 95 we had to pay like thirty thousand to get into this alliance and the best of these six schools uh was going to get the bowl bid to go to the liberty bowl steve Earhart is a good friend of mine still uh he committed the liberty bowl to the liberty bowl alliance best team and we we fought hard to be that team as we uh in 95 96 you know uh, we we finally went uh, six five six five that type of deal, but East Carolina nushed us out with about eight wins, so they brought them in both times. But it was uh, you know the, the 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 most weird thing about where UC football is today. I mean, here we are in the Big Twelve now. I mean, my goodness. Uh, and like two years ago, I was in Dallas, proudly sporting the colors with them playing in you know Alabama in the friggin' uh, college football playoffs you know was that in our imagination back then i don't know but but where it's come from you asked me a question i went to a meeting george over on campus in an auditorium i don't even know the name of the building they were holding a faculty forum and they were going to talk about football in such terms as to whether or not they're going to ban football and do away with it and drop it because it was just a budgetary drain on everybody because we weren't drawing a whole lot of people. Football does cost and uh, the budget and the scholarships and all that weren't, you know, we didn't have a big, big budget back then. Uh, they've come light years since then, but uh, that's where it's come from, from the point of the faculty and staff almost voting us out of the, I mean, off the Island. Right. And, uh, to where it is today. Now, all of a sudden, in a Power Five conference, Big 12 rightfully earned, uh, there'll be growing pains, you know, for this next step going into the Big 12. But the evolution of the, I mean, we got it off the ground. I think uh, my staff and our student athletes and all the people who put in their uh, life's work there put it in position to be desired. And it got accepted into the Big East. And that's the only 
not regret, but the only sad moment for me was I was let go before I had a chance to coach in the Big East when I thought we really did what it took to position them into the Big East. Yeah, I thought and, you, uh, I, I but, thought, you know, uh, if you look at everybody, George has followed me. And I mean, I'm very honest about it to myself also. Would I love to have been there still to this day even? Yes. But did UC make a decision at a crossroads? Uh, my last four years on the job was three bowl games and a 5-7 season. So we weren't bad of late. But they made a choice going forward saying you, you may have topped out. You may have ceilinged out a little bit. And we want somebody else to have a shot to take it to a higher level. That was Bob Goins, uh, I guess, legacy of letting me go. And then what came and what followed has been unbelievable. And I've gotten to know every one of the head coaches, uh, yet to know Sat right now, but we have exchanged texts and phone numbers. Just haven't, like you said, got down there to see him yet. But I was very close with Luke Fickle. I grew up with Tommy Tuberville. Uh, I know Butch. You know, Dino now is the interim head coach again back up here at Michigan State. Uh, Brian Kelly, BK, and I are certainly good friends. Uh, so I've gotten to know every one of them, and they've, uh, you know, gave me my kudos, whatever. But I do nothing but pull for the Bearcats. I mean, it's just in my blood and my heart forever, and I'll always be indebted to them for letting me be a head coach. Well, I feel like you poured the concrete on that foundation, and I, I really felt like you did deserve at least a shot in the Big East. But I know how it didn't work out, and I don't want to belabor that, but but I thought, you know, four bowl games in your tenure when they hadn't been the one in almost 50 years. Yeah. Um, I, I thought you did some really, really good things to help position UC. And what was a crazy time going into Conference USA, and as you mentioned, at Liberty Bowl, it was a mess. It was a mess, and yeah. you gave it stability that it hadn't had in a long, long time. And I know Aaron wants to hit on some – some things in your thoughts on, on what has happened. And you touched on some of those thoughts briefly there, but Aaron, I'll let you jump in here and, and, and talk about where this thing has come. And before I even get to that, you mentioned, obviously you're, you're at Michigan with, with uh, coach Harbaugh there, but what did you do to set yourself up with a, just an insane who's who of coaching staff at Cincinnati where all, I mean, you have the Ryan brothers who have gone on to have successful NFL head coaching careers. You have obviously your connection to the Harbaugh family. You've had Mike Tomlin. I mean, yeah. what, how did that even happen? I do think Aaron that, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I don't know if it's not a gift, but it's, uh, I think I thought I had good reasoning power when it came to hiring people. Uh, we were a mid major, certainly a stepping stone. And you knew when you brought certain guys in, they weren't going to be there very long. It was just the nature of that school. And until they started paying better and they got into a better conference and all that stuff, they've had less turnover. But I hired 50 coaches in 10 years, counting my original nine choices. So let's say 40 over 10 years. Uh, the tough part about that is lack of continuity. Uh, every year, it, it averaged about four or five. One year it was six. And four of those guys... You know, one of them was Mike Tomlin. You know, one of them goes to Tampa Bay. Monty Kiffin, my buddy, calls me up and says, hey, you got this coach. I want to talk to him, et cetera. You know, but we, we had all kinds of guys. Uh, we had Mike. We had John. We had Rex, all NFL head coaches. Jimbo Fisher was on my staff in 99. Joker Phillips, head coach at UK. Uh, all kinds of people was on our staff. And 
even that 97, 96 staff, you know, you had John Harbaugh, Rex Ryan, Wink Martindale. A year earlier, I had Jerry Rosberg. I had Joker Phillips. I had Kim Dameron. Uh, Sam Pittman. Sam, people forget Sam Pittman worked for me. Sam's not Arkansas as a head coach. Man. So that one staff in that 96, 97, there might be six or seven of those guys who went on to become either NFL famous or, uh, you know, head coaches. But I just, I just felt like I had a knack of doing it. I could sit down and talk to a guy and within about one to three minutes, you do this with your own friends sometimes, uh, or when you've interviewed people, you know, you just have that it factor feeling that when you're talking to somebody, do you want to work with this guy? And, uh, so I, I thought I made good choices. Uh, we were given the resources to bring certain guys in and then knowing full well that in a matter of one to three years, the good ones were going to be gone. So I hired what I called from the top down. I wanted to get the best available out there to come join us to make us better. And in doing so, it would make the entire staff better. So once they left, our staff would be made better. Uh, you know, younger coaches, less experienced coaches would learn from those guys uh, rather than a lot, of, a lot of people do is they build it from the bottom up and uh, they bring in a staff. And then as you lose people, you just keep promoting people. I just never thought I had it quite in that position. It was an attractive job. And I'll tell you this is a fact, George and Aaron, almost every one of those guys who worked for me would tell you today if you asked them what was one of their favorite stops ever in coaching. And they would all say Cincinnati. And not because of Rick Minner and partly UC, but they all love the city of Cincinnati and love to live in the neighborhoods and the parishes and, and whatever it is that makes that city so great. Almost everybody would cite that was one of their favorite stops because I've talked to a lot of them over the years. That's that awesome. Absolutely wild. Uh, you, you say you don't know what to call it. I, I believe personally, I believe it's somewhere in between charisma and just eye for talent and it probably falls somewhere in between those two things. So my hat's off to you, sir, because it's unbelievable that you were able to put together those coaching staffs over your time here. So just, I don't know that we'll get a chance to talk again or not, but I just did want to say that while I well, had I time to that. talk to you. Um, that all out of the way, you get to see what the, the staffs after you and going into the big East and, and going into, uh, several other conferences now before ending up in the big 12, but what's it been like for you as someone on the outside now who had laid such fingerprints on the inside to watch the roller coaster. That's been the Cincinnati Bearcats now even going to the CFP. I mean, what's it really been like for you to just sit back and, and think about the fact that you, you had your hands all over the rise that the Bearcats have had. Well, I did take great pride in it, Aaron and, and George. Uh, you know, I got to say, when I first got let go, I uh, ended up getting hired by Lou Holtz down South Carolina. So I got out of town quick, got hired, lasted one year. Lou retired. He goes, uh, I'm his last coordinator. I go back to Notre Dame, worked for two years. Charlie Wise, a revisited stop for me because that's where I came from uh, in coming to UC was Notre Dame. So that's, that's three years, and it's really enough time to clear air out of UC also. Nancy Zimfer was gone. Bob Gowen was gone. My buddy Bob Huggins was gone. And then in comes Brian Kelly after Mark D'Antonio. So Mark's the guy that I probably got to know the least because I was around the least. 
He's also the guy who replaced you. So do you really want to get to know that guy very well? Just human nature. So I was distanced. Then all of a sudden Dino's gone to Michigan state and in comes a very uh, affable uh, Brian Kelly, very friendly, outspoken. Uh, and I called him up when I got let go at Notre Dame. Jesse was working for me in 05 or 06 at Notre Dame as like a GA. And I asked him, he just got the job. And I asked him, does he have a GA opening down there at UC? And he said he did. And so he ended up hiring Jesse. Jesse moves back to Cincinnati. Uh, his fiance, now wife and mother of the three children, is a Cincinnati girl on the west side. And uh, uh, so he took him in. And then eventually I moved back to Cincinnati for the year of 07 after after Notre Dame, 0506, I ended up in Cincinnati. And Brian was the guy who got me back. I mean, he really was. He reached out to me. We become and are still our good friends. He invited me back to the Letterman's Golf Outing that I started in 1994. They still have it all every single spring around the spring game time. Uh, he's the one that he and I talked every week during the season. Uh, I got involved in a little bit of radio and TV there locally, but he got me involved. And I think with uh, the past behind me, a new attitude, a new approach, I really embraced UC. I said, I'm going to be with these guys thick or thin from here on out. Uh, it might have been a little different if I'd have gotten another head coaching job and just turned my attention totally away. But as, it, as my life has turned out, it will be my only head coaching job for 10 years. And I really embraced that. Uh, I, I loved every minute of it. And so... Uh, my personal connection still in Cincinnati down through the years. Why not embrace the Bearcats? Don't hold grudges. Don't, uh, you know, don't look back negatively. Look at the positive that we created there. Uh, I've been around enough to, uh, to be given the pat on the backs, you know, these types of things for doing what we did. But, but I do with great pride follow the Bearcats. I follow their scores. I watch them when I can. And I've gotten to know these coaches. But particularly as my career slowed down around – 19, 20, 21, I got to know Luke really well because I'd come through Cincinnati three, four, five times a year. And uh, we became really close, Marcus Freeman, all the fellas. And so I, and then I, when they got in the playoffs, hell, I went to Dallas and uh, I said, I'm not going to miss this, you know. And uh, God, I wish great... I would have seen you down there. That would have been a ball. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, they took the whole organization, took me in. I, I, I stayed at the team hotel. Uh, they oh, wow. got me tickets. Uh, I rode the team bus around doing some things. I went oh, to the banquet. Cool. It just felt good to be so included. And uh, But I do do it with pride, even though I didn't have a really a single thing to do with these recent teams, other than the blood, sweat, and tears we laid years and years ago, mm -hmm. has laid a path that I think every one of those coaches who came through there, you know, Dino, BK, even Butch got off to a slow start, then ascended. Then Tommy mm -hmm. came in and had it hot and cold. And then they hired a star with Luke. Uh, you know, they're the ones who put that thing in position to be accepted into the Big 12. Just like we probably got them accepted into the Big East and right. that type of thing. Luke Fickle's imprint on that program got that team into the Big 12. And then he did what he and his family needed to do, and he got back into Big Ten territory, and he'll be a great coach at uh, Wisconsin. It's probably going to be the game of the week this week when Iowa plays uh, Wisconsin, and the winner of that game probably ends up winning the West <coughs> or a very good chance. 
Well, you but, know, Rick, there there is something you did that still has an imprint on today's <laughs> team, and that's doing that higher ground thing for yep. training camp. And they now, you know, you you started. It was just a few days, right? Or did it did it last a week when you first started? And how did that happen? Because they still do it today, and every coach along the way may have had reservations about going off camp. Oh, yeah, they all had reservations. I hear that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. How'd that come about? Well, uh, really, to Bob Goins' credit, uh, the XAD, rest in peace, uh, he had a vision because our facilities were on, on campus were so so poor in a sense of being promoted to to practice, and you know we had the old turf back in those days, the hard astro turf there at Nippert yeah. that got replaced in I think '99 into that field turf. But we had no quality practice fields whatsoever. We practiced on our single stadium field 99% of the time, in season, spring ball, fall games, et cetera. So with doing that, we needed space. We wanted a breath of fresh air. In August, it was always 15 degrees hotter there in Clifton with all concrete and structures and con, you know, contracts, uh, contractors. And that hard turf to start with was like concrete. So we looked for a place and Bob and his committee found this camp higher ground, which is a Nazarene church camp out there in Harrison or beyond Harrison, but it's across the border there into Indiana, Chuck and Brenda Hale, great people. They still own it. They're wonderful people. We get out there and the setup is unbelievably good. And it's even greater now with the Mm -hmm. work they've done on it. But back then, what sold everybody was besides the getting away, the bonding effects and all those things that the camp can bring was the food. I mean, they had these older ladies out there that are just these great cooks, country cookers. And we, I mean, we could all put on 10 pounds during camp, you know, but uh, they had uh, the, the kind of a cabin like they had the kind of the, the lodge, which we, we had to, kind of rank and file the, the bunking orders and all those things. And they've even now added more rooms. Uh, but since then, but, but the worst part about it, I promise you, well, the worst part about it was the two fields. We had two field space, but it was like going out on your, you know, somewhere in West Texas during the hot summer <laughs> and playing ball on hard dirt or clay and, I won't ever forget it during the noontime hour because we were doing two a days back then. Somebody would bring a volunteer fire department's water truck. I mean, just a big old tank of water and they'd bring it up there and put it on the field and they start spraying that stuff everywhere. And then by the afternoon, when we got out there for the second session, you couldn't tell one ounce of water had ever been put on that field. It was so, <laughs> it was so dry. But now what they did three, four, five years later, after I got out of there, they when they read the next time they redid the field turf at UC, uh, probably after they got in the Big East and all that, uh, they took the old turf, which wasn't very old at UC, and took it out there to camp higher ground. And they now have two artificial turf fields out there. They mm-hmm. have a tower. They have a built locker room now, not just a metal mm-hmm. building with chairs and curtains. Uh, they've had, they built a whole new uh, cafeteria. 
Uh, it's unbelievable. I went out there around eight, 19, I think 19, and spent a day or two out there with Luke and talked to the team and everything. And I've always been out there off and on. It has to be, I promise you this, the number one training site for any college football team. And for like a two, three-week period, I'd put it up against almost any NFL training site camp in the whole country of how those guys get treated out there for the 20, 15 to 21 days. I think they go out there now for it's a number. Yeah, I know when uh, back when your guys went, uh-uh. trouble with Rick. There we go. Back when your guys would go, Coach, and I, I, I remember I always loved talking to them the day you guys were leaving to go out. It was like talking to a bunch of guys sentenced to San Quentin, like they're getting ready to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Other than the food. And they would be like, oh, my God, we're leaving. The food was great. And, uh, you know, the world could blow up when they were away, and they wouldn't know it. They're out there in the middle of that. It, it was it was remarkable. That, that tradition, I think, and, and that – that team chemistry and bonding and all that, and just the toughness that's built out there, I think has just been. You got a, a real quick story here. When we first went, I was thinking about this. I said, "All right, we're going out there to bond as a team. We're gonna, we're gonna room our guys two by two by black, white, offense, defense, old, young. I mean, we're gonna do everything we can to create communication, bonding." And then this was about the time our you know, people back in, what, 99, 98, 99, cell phones were just beginning to come around. And most kids had them, but not everybody had them back in those days. So I said, fellas, I want you to, uh, you know, we're going to disconnect the phones in the room like we would used to do on Friday nights at all team trips forever. And I said, I want you to. I don't want you to take any electronic out there. I don't want radios. I don't want TVs. I don't want these cell phones you guys are using right now because I want us to tune out the world, man. We're going to bond as a team for like three weeks or two weeks. And uh, they, I said, can everybody do that? Everybody, yes, coach. Yes, coach. We can do all that. And so one day after we were out there for a few days, my equipment guy comes up to me and says, coach, we got a pair of shoes missing. Somebody's missing a pair of shoes. And I said, all right, I'll tell you what you do. I said, during practice, you just grab a couple of your guys and just walk through all these rooms, and let's see if we can't find these pair of shoes. That's all you're looking for, just these shoes, you know. He said, okay, we can do that. So during practice, he does that. He goes, after practice, he comes back. He says, okay, do you want the good news or do you want the bad news? And I said, <laughs> did you find the shoes? No, we didn't find the shoes. He says, but i tell you what we found a lot of. And I said, what's that? You name it. He says, radios, TV, cell phones, everybody's got something. (laughs) And I said, go pick it all up. They went through the rooms and ransacked everybody's phones and TVs and and, uh, radios. I was so pissed, you know, these guys (laughs) lying to me. And then... uh, so, you know, that was that was that way for like a year. Then all of a sudden you had to settle down. And just like today, what would we all do without our cell phones, you know? Right. But as I go out there like in 19 and I'm watching all the kids walk around, it's like it is everywhere. You know, they got walk, you know, they got headsets and they yeah. got, you know, everybody's got their phone. They're talking to their girlfriends. They're on Twitter. They're all this social media stuff, you know. But I'm thinking we're going to. 
we're going to do it like Remember the Titans, you know, that movie. That's all that was on my mind was Remember the Titans. We're going to go out there and bomb. You know? Oh, my God. The players had a whole different attitude about it. Oh, yeah, they did. They got their ways. You know young people. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you I don't know if you know this or not, uh, Coach, but Brian Kelly tried to actually take higher ground when he went to Notre Dame. Exactly um, he, right. he, and and I, I think that that's absolutely crazy uh, that you built this legacy that other coaches even try and not just replicate, but actually just steal, just outright steal. Yes. <laughs> well, um, I know Luke Chuck also. Chuck Brenda Hill told me that story. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know Luke when he went to I had Wisconsin. Gone out there. He he tried yeah, to find when something I went out there, as well. Yeah. Um, you're exactly right about BK, because uh, not long after, John Whittakin, who is still over there on staff with all these coaches, John's the stalwart. He's the one that stayed all through these years, kind of the new Jim Kelly, if you will, of the yeah. athletic department. And uh, he told me the story that when BK left to go to Notre Dame, he called right back to down to higher ground, talked to Chuck and Brenda Hale. And tried to buy his way in, you know, so they, they would have a lot more money to spend than we would or that UC would have. But to their credit, they said, Brian, we're sorry. You know, we enjoyed having you here for three years, but this place belongs to UC and nobody else. And so they've stood strong all the way through these years because, you know, Ohio State would want to do the same thing. Kentucky, Notre Dame, anybody with a little bit more cash, they could have tried to buy them out. But they stood strong. They were very faithful people, and uh, the people at UC are to be fortunate for that. Before we let you go, Coach, I want to ask you this. I found this. I, I I had this on the shelf for a long time, and then my wife stuck it in the bin, but I got it out. Do you know what this bad boy is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I still got, I still got mine. Do you really? Oh, yeah. I got yeah. the very – you know, whatever they call the top of the goalpost. Yep, this is from the goalpost. That's right. Nippert Stadium, Cincinnati 17. What is that? Sixth rank, Seven, Wisconsin 12. 17 to 12. Yep, 1999. What a day that was. Now, that what's was so, a heck of a win. What's so unique, I'm, I'm sitting today at the uh, cafeteria table talking to a couple of guys, and – they were mentioning something about when were you the head coach at UC? And I said, yeah, we had some big moments. <clears throat> and I said, uh, you know, we beat Wisconsin. I said at that stage, you know, at that time, that night, since, you know, as of 99, that was the biggest win in UC history. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> they said, uh, well, that guy said, well, who were some of the guys in that game from Wisconsin? <laughs> and I said, well, I'll try Ron Dane. He was there. He rushed for about 230 yards on us. Yep. I said, and Ben Herbert. Now, you guys don't know who Ben Herbert is, but he's our strength coach. And uh, he's a Wisconsin guy. And he was on that field that day. And uh, we've sat around and talked about that. And we've had a few laughs about that. Um, you know, we got a favorable call at late in the fourth quarter there with that offensive tackle flinching. And that pushed them back because they scored a touchdown on that play. But, you know, it didn't count. <coughs> but uh, that was obviously – of my career there because it was the biggest ranked win. We had other big wins. We've really played well playing up. Yeah. We beat Syracuse, we beat Boston College, we beat uh, Wisconsin, we took Ohio State to the wire a couple of times. 
we competed, you know, we beat TCU, who's become a big-time team. Uh, we've done a lot of good things down there, beat all these, you know, beat Louisville. Uh, so we had some big wins. We just had a hard time sometimes beating the teams that, uh, uh, you know, supposed to beat. Well, for, uh, for years and years and years, I was hoping I could be in a game for my team where they tear down the goalposts and they did right. that game. They did. Oh, came down. That's right. Yeah, I, I, was, I, was, I was actually helping the kids on one of them, and I should not have been in that fray. I should not have. I mean, I'm like a 42, 43-year-old man. And I'm oh, hanging yeah. on this goalpost with these other kids. Oh, yeah. I had a few – yeah, I had a few cold ones that night, you know. He goes, Mr. Vogel, was that you? And he's a friend of my son's who had just graduated high school and they were freshmen at UC. I'm like, I better get out of here now. But uh, <laughs> Tom Hathaway made sure I got this. God bless him. Yeah, he's like, there yeah, you go. we're helping good. crank on that goalpost, so you should get one of these. That's hilarious. It was a great thing. Yeah. No doubt about it. Never forget it. That's fantastic. Well, Coach, we we thank you for your time uh, yeah, tonight. Longer than we said. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, no, no, I'm, you're quite all right. I don't know how George feels, but I'm always rooting for a team who's playing against the Buckeyes. So I'll be rooting for you this year uh, when you play <laughs> the game, and uh, hopefully you bring home another win for your. Well, Michigan we appreciate. Warriors. We're playing really well right now. When do you start scouting them next week? Um, I'm always breaking them down. I mean, they're on they're on our minds every day almost. That's right. But uh, but by the time we play them, we'll have all their eleven games broken down. You know that they would have played up prior to our game. It's a big game here. There's there's no denying it. We're always on them, and uh, we look forward to another uh, the game battle here in Ann Arbor on Thanksgiving weekend. All right, Rick. Thanks a lot for the time. Best of luck to you and your son Jesse up there, and keep chasing those grandkids. I'm happy for you, man. Yeah, appreciate that, George. Aaron, nice to meet you. Yes, sir. And appreciate it. Go, you know, go Bearcats. Thank All you. Right, Rick. We hope to see you back around campus soon. That's right. Appreciate it. I'll be down there. I'll look you guys up. All right. Cool. Good. Thanks. Take Rick. care. All right, Thanks, Coach. Thank you. How about that, Aaron? A little bit of history there for you. It was. Uh, we even had. I, I don't know if you see the comments or not when they come through, but oh, um, I not see. Oh, never mind. Uh, uh, we we had Andrew saying what an interesting guest, especially for young fans like myself who went there for the Genesis. Uh, Darren saying Coach Minter, a true Bearcat legend. Thank you for making my five years enjoyable as a student and fan. And then Josh saying thanks for your time, Coach. Appreciate everything you did for the Bearcats. Great stuff. Yeah, he uh, so. he steadied the ship. I mean, I don't blame Tim Murphy for taking off. You heard what Rick said. One of his first days there, he's walking through and sees a faculty meeting. They're talking about dumping. That's crazy. That is so crazy. But it was so unstable back then. And and that's why Tim Murphy, I mean, you're like, well, you know, and he told me he left for Harvard because he knew it was a stable job. Sure. Uh, it wasn't like he was trying to win the Sugar Bowl or the Orange Bowl there. Nope. It was more about then. It was more about beating Yale and having players who went to class. It wasn't all about just the win thing. And it was it was a place he was from that part of the country. He felt more comfortable being there. And I think it was also a place he saw himself coaching for a long time. The, the think he took that job, you know, after the 93 season, and now he's still there is, you know, it's crazy. 
It is crazy to be in one spot that long coaching college football. I still can't get over just the list of names that coach just dropped when he's talking about the staffs that he put together. Like that's absolutely insanity. uh, He had, uh, as Tomlin, you know, he had uh, the Ryans, he had uh, Jimbo Fisher, uh, who's, um, and then he, you know, he mentioned some other guys I forgot about, like the dude down there at Arkansas. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. The, The guys he had on that staff and, you know, John Harbaugh, who's who's done quite well for himself. And it's it's just uh, really, really good for me to hear Rick's doing really well and, yeah. and enjoying what he's doing because I always felt bad about him leaving after he did that heavy lifting to get them at least on stable ground to where the Big East would actually consider him. And I always felt bad that he didn't get to at least give it a shot in the Big East and see what happened. I I thought he earned that. I understand Bob Goyne and, and, and what they did. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of good things Bob Goyne did. One thing I didn't ask Rick, and darn it, I was going to, but we just had too many other things going on when he went to that humanitarian bowl in uh, 1988 or 1997, I guess it was. Um, so UC goes to Boise for that football game. Well, Bob Goyne kind of made a side deal where, hey, if you host us in this, just trying to get UC in a bowl game, we'll send, you know, our top-ranked basketball team out there once or twice for you as a, as kind of a favor. And I always wondered if Hugs gave gave Rick a raft of you-know-what for that. I'm game. sure. Because Bob sure was so happy about having to fly out to Boise, Idaho for some one-off game, you know, out of nowhere. It, it, it was – that, that was some fun stuff. But, yeah, it was great to catch up with him. Great man who did great things. And, my God, it's great that someone is not bitter about yeah. what happened here. And well, it sounded like he was for a minute. And then he yeah, got over. Yeah, he said, you know, there was a year or two. But, my God, what a good man. What a good human being. And, uh, damn, I'm glad we talked to him. That was fun. I agree. I, I appreciate you putting that together for us, George. Um Real quick before we move off the topic and move on to other things, uh, in the chat here, George, do you think there's a coach in the future with old UC roots who might look at UC the same way, a place they would want to stay for a long time? Well, obviously, you know, if, if things shook out for – I'm just thinking now a coach in the future with old – Gino would be one. Uh, I think Gino Gadulli would definitely be one. Um, whether he turns, you know, into somebody UC would want to lead the program, we'll see. Um, but definitely him, um, you know, and, and there's going to be guys there. Carrie, Carrie's kind of one, right? I mean, oh, totally. not, totally. not head coach, but he certainly has made no stuck around the NFL and done, you know, yeah. a lot of different roles there, but, uh, uh, he's kind of one of those guys that, you know, you cut him and Cincinnati chili comes out of the veins. It's like, <laughs> he's, he's just one of those guys that loves it here and, and it, oh man, I couldn't believe when he went to Columbus. He couldn't turn it down, I guess. But dang, that one. Yeah. Um, but he's back, and uh, yeah, it's funny, you know, to hear him and his. And I wonder. I don't know. I haven't talked to him about how his son feels about UC for a while. But his son played at Miami, so UC, and oh my God, you know, Carrie's died in the wool UC, and his son played for the Red Hawks and hated UC. Because of the right. battle for the bell and all that stuff, it's just 
we're dynamic and sports does that to people, man. It, it definitely does. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Gino comes off the top of my head as somebody, you know, that would probably be very happy being here. But um, at the same time, you you got to find the best coach for your situation. Agreed. Whether they're from Cincinnati or from Mars, you know, you just got to you got to take the right guy. You just do. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we still have uh, Walt here, Walt Stewart on staff as well. So. That's one, yeah. I mean, he's got yeah. definitely some, uh, some uh, loyalty, yeah. you know, in a good spot for him. And Lord knows he's been good for Cincinnati, no doubt about it. Um, real quick before we move off of UC entirely, yep. it is home homecoming week, and yep. you have Iowa State coming into town noon kickoff. Uh, first off, I want to get your thoughts on noon kickoffs. Um, obviously, fans generally don't love noon kickoffs as it doesn't give you quite as much time to tailgate that three thirty spot seems to be more of the, the sweet spot as opposed to the late night game. Um, even with the excitement that nip at night brings, um, but homecoming, do you get the same energy with a noon kickoff as you might with one of the later kickoffs? I don't know that you do. Um, I, I, I just don't know that you do. I mean, it's just not, I mean, take me, for example. I mean, and I'm not like a late riser anymore, but I was when I worked till midnight. Um, but now I get up fairly early. But still, to get me out the door, you know, I'll probably get there at 1130, unfortunately, because that's just how I am. Uh, but if it's a 7 o'clock game, I could be there at 4. If it's a 330 game, yeah, I could be there at 1. Um but I know this, a lot of people still get juiced for that parade and everything. And uh, uh, homecoming's a great time. And it, it's definitely a time you see needs to get a win at home and get that first Big 12 win out of the way. And and they're favored to do so. And, you know, if you look down strengths and weaknesses of these teams, um, I wouldn't say I feel great, but I feel good that UC's going to pull this thing off. Did you have a chance to watch the pressers today? Yeah. Okay. Um, I give my thoughts on Thursday night when Chad and I kind of give our uh, three keys that we need to do. So I won't bog this show down with those opinions here, but I will get your opinions. What does Cincinnati need to do to win this game against Iowa State and finally get their first Big 12 win? Uh, they, they have the chance to be the first of the new Big 12 teams to get a a win against a former Big 12 team. Um, it's There's a lot going for it. also breaking a three-game losing streak. Yeah, it, it's the nasty mistakes. I mean, it's the nasty turnovers. And, and Coach Satterfield talked about the turnovers today, but it's also, you know, a, a second and, and two and somebody flinches. I mean, you can't have those mistakes that just wreck a drive. And especially as we've seen this team – can put together drives, just can't finish them. Uh, there's some interesting stats on this thing, too. Um, you know, UC uh, ranked 103rd in red zone offense, which we know is, is that. They're 97th in red zone defense, even though they're 31st in total defense. So there's, there's red zone issues on both sides of the ball here. And, and the defense isn't as big of a worry because you're going to, you know, chances are an offense is going to score there. But still, those are some – they got to figure out this red zone thing and, and maybe on both sides of the ball. So uh, those would be my two big ones. You don't turn it over and, and those, you know, that's how you win football games. And, and Coach Satterfield has been pounding 
for the past couple of weeks, and, and it really reared its ugly head in that BYU game where, you know, football is such a weird game in that you're in there and you're slugging in the trenches the whole game, but most games come down to two or three, three or four plays that swing momentum. And, and you know, certainly as, as you know, Emory Jones said today, Without that pick six he threw or without that blunder on the punt return, UC probably wins that game, and he's probably right. Yeah. Uh, did you make anything of the comments uh, social media has? And I, I don't know. I know we talk off air about how little you're on Twitter and all of that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm real I'm, that. I'm trying to be your eyes and ears, but uh, social, social media really took off with the comment that um, – Satterfield made in regards to not having a a running back who really ex, an explosive running back. I mean, to me, Miles Montgomery's somewhat of a home run hitter, and not well, yet. He, his well, longest run of the season has only been 16 yards. Uh, whereas yeah, know, obviously we've, I, we've seen the long runs by Kiner, um, where he gets unfortunately well, he gets hawked. So, okay. I get. I guess I should. I should back up what I knew about him in high school, and also what I. I and, and he's playing in Florida, and, and what I saw out of him when I was out of higher ground, and, and what I've seen some other times. I, I think he could. I think he can let one rip. I, I think he can go. I think he can. I think he can hit a home run. Um, Kiner, while he may not be a hundred yard track star, I mean he had that long run and he got run down at, at Pitt, but. He can buzz him. I was surprised to hear him say that a little bit. I mean, uh, and maybe that's coach putting a little challenge in there too, to make a guy miss and get some yards. You know, it, it's just, yeah. I mean, he could be playing that game and, and, you know, I appreciate any honesty if that's how he really feels, but I also think he may be throwing that out there as a challenge for somebody to start breaking some, some longer runs here because that, and, and we talked about this last week with Chad at the, the, you know, they, they high in the nation in first downs, time of possession, all that. But that's, you know, the flip side of that is you're not hitting those long plays. Now, he did go back before you, before you go, Chad. I just want to put this out there. He did go back and talk about the fact that he does appreciate the fact that they move the chains, that they get those first downs and, and that they have grinded. They, they While they are not hitting the home runs, they are, I mean, they're putting up, what, 100, 100 and almost 200 yards on average. Yeah. yeah. So, George, to be fair, I asked the question. Yeah. <clears throat> the reason I asked the question is because in the past, his offenses have been fueled. I believe last year they were number one in the country in 40-plus yard runs. And those haven't existed. We've had two. One in the EKU game from Kiner, one in the pit game from Kiner. Yeah. So the question was aimed at essentially your offense thrives on these home runs and you're not hitting any home runs. Is it, is the scheme not right? Is, are they, are, are the assignments not right? Like what is kind of the genesis of this part of your offense? That's always been such a, a thing that's outside zone, right? He talked about it a lot in the offseason. Correct. We we outside zone you, we outside zone you, and then in the third and fourth quarter, 
your legs are getting dead from from chasing us out there and and we hit big and i thought his answer was honest like Corey's been caught behind twice am i missing something on miles montgomery or uh, i mean to he me, just I, hasn't done it yet like I, I, I know he hasn't i think that was part of the statement it's like well you know we're supposed to have that right but it, it is not nobody's hitting home runs no so and and they definitely need to do that um because it is tough to sustain drive after drive after drive and, and, yeah. and not make a mistake that gets you behind the chains. And that's that's where it's 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 gone south for this team. I would say the problem with Miles is he's run hard. He's been effective. But when he's been in those one-on-one situations with a linebacker or safety, he's not making a miss. Yeah, you got to make a miss. You got to make That's where those runs come from. Whether you can have all the blazing speed in the world, well, right. if you can't make that safety miss at the second level, you're not getting big gains because there's just not enough times. Now we saw Jerome Ford had that extra gear. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, and I was just going to contradict myself with him because I would bet if he had played in this offense, he would have oh. made a couple guys miss by now and right. and hit some long touchdowns. But um, I thought so I just my- wanted to add context. I, I asked the question, so I. I- Felt like I could add a little bit. Know, and and yeah, no, thanks for filling all that in because it's a it's a very valid point, and uh, it, it's something that I hope gets rectified. And I hope him putting it out there like that, you know, kind of puts a little Bunsen burner uh, under some rear ends there, and and maybe somebody makes a guy miss because that's what you got to do. You know, you can't block sure. everybody, right? Um, unless you're Iowa State, and uh, they have only uh, allowed three sacks, and they have not fumbled, they've they've not un- they've not fumbled the ball yet. Uh, so Cincinnati obviously needs to protect the ball and turn the ball over somehow, some way. You have to win the turnover battle in this one, otherwise yeah. I don't know that you're going to be able they've to run this game. Interceptions, third in the nation too, so they they're a team that will turn you over. In fact. I think they're top 20 in turnover differential. I think it's 13 total right now for them. It's crazy. So um, I I still like the way – and and Iowa State has run the ball a little better the last two games. Yes. Um, But I like the UC defense and and the strength of the UC defense uh, against what Iowa State presents offensively. Um, And – you know, we'll see if UC can break in and get a sack or two against that freshman quarterback, too. Yeah, if this defensive line is who we th- thought they were. Uh, yeah. Got to get home. Yeah, you, absolutely you do. Absolutely. And, you know, Iowa State, I, I, they're 0-2 on the road this year. And their road record the last couple of years, they're like 3-13 and or something. So That's dreadful. Um, yes, it is. So, they, you know, you get them out of Ames, you got a good shot. And uh, – them coming to Nippert, and hopefully the fans show up. I, I believe they will, and uh, hopefully sold they out. on that first Big 12 win. Yeah, it's sold, sold out. Sold out. So if you got a ticket, make sure you're showing up and getting loud because noon kickoffs are a little tough on everybody. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else you have to add on UC then? No, we'll, we'll roll on with the old Bengalis, and, and I don't, you know, there's not a whole lot to say there except Joe and Jamar, you know, that connection's back. And it was good to see Burrow doing the things he did in that game. And yes. we can sit here all night and say it's Arizona. And, and, you know, for a while it was close. All that, all that's true. 
but just seeing that dude do the things he did um, and also getting Chase involved to the tune of, you know, a franchise record 15 catches. No big deal. Kudos to them for doing that. Look, you know, he said, last, he, he said last week, I'm always fucking open. Right. And he went out and showed you. He oh, is yeah. always open. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and sometimes football isn't that hard. Sometimes it's, you know, it, it can be that simple. And it, it was for the Bengals Sunday. And a lot of good things happened for them. I was really pleased that they kind of stuck with the run a little bit and did, you yes. know, kept pounding and they and and they used mixing the way I hope they would. It was disappointing when they didn't get in on the one yard line for a couple of plays. But you know, Cam Taylor Britt took care of that with the pick six. And uh, you know, I also like the way they responded in the second half. They come out, get the quick score. Uh Arizona was able to close it to like 24-20. And then the Bengals go on a 15-play march that really didn't put the game away, but it, it kind of did. It was like, wow, that that was impressive. But that 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 drive, uh, that was their best drive of the season in my book. Uh it was just what you needed, and and it was a long drive, 83 yards, 15 plays. Uh, and that was right after they stopped Arizona, who was driving. And the defense holds on a fourth and one, gives the ball back to the Bengals' offense, and then the offense did what it had to do. So I I, I really thought the Bengals played pretty darn well on both sides of the ball when it came to clutch plays. Yeah, you and I in this space, we've talked at length about wanting to see more Joe Mixon. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time he's rushed over 20 times. And Cincinnati – when Joe Mixon rushes over 20 times, currently they're undefeated. And yeah, and, and the way he, he's running right now, as as we said, with a purpose. Uh uh, they they've got a chance to turn this bad boy around. I mean, they're only down a game in the division. Uh, but you know, they're 0-2 in division play, but uh plenty of time, plenty of time. Uh they, the seasons are long, strange things can happen. Um and, and there's just there's a lot of football to be played to only be one game back after what seemed like a catastrophic start to the season. Mm-hmm. Here we are again, and, and they're starting to look like maybe they're putting things together. And, and the defense played better. I mean, really. Yeah. Uh, Hendrickson's been damn good all year. Uh, the linebackers made a lot of plays. Pratt. Um, you know, I, I just I, I felt like they really started looking like the team we thought they were. And I don't care that it was Arizona. I cared what the Bengals looked like and, and how they played on the road. And they played very well. For confidence reasons, for a multitude of players, this game, this win meant everything. To win the way they did, it wasn't like you just eked one out against Arizona. You won yeah. a game that you were supposed to win, but you won it the way that you're supposed to win those types of games. Uh, yeah. This is an Arizona team, by the way, that beat what a lot of people still believe, despite a record, is a really good Dallas Cowboys team. Yeah. So even though they didn't look too good Sunday night, they, they did not. They were playing one of the big dogs. I mean that that boy when that Niners team with an Iowa State grad operating at quarterback is uh, when yeah. they're cooking, they're cooking, man. And and you know that Christian McCaffrey kind of makes it go. Not upset. We're not going to see Brock Purdy this weekend. Yep. At exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, Seattle coming in, not a bad crew. They're three and one, and and 
you know, it's funny. They just kind of do a workman like that the Bengals are favored. And uh, and I think if there's a weakness in Seattle, um, the secondary hasn't been the old legion of boom by any stretch. I think the Bengals could uh, – I, I don't, you know, want them to just concentrate on the pass, but they got a chance to pop some big plays against this team through the air. Tariq Woolen is really good. He was a guy who was up there, uh, I believe, ended up second behind uh, – Sauce last year in the rookie of the year uh, at cornerback as well. Um, he's he's got a lot of he had he had more interceptions than Sauce did last year. Um, more turnovers to his career at this point, young career. Um, but a former Bearcat does come to town with Seattle. Uh, Kobe Bryant still with the Seattle Seahawks. Yep. Um, I don't know. It, it should be a, an interesting game, but again. I believe this to be a game that you should win. I don't know that they necessarily need to win the same way they did against Arizona, but uh, I, I believe that if you look up and down on paper anyway, I don't know where Seattle is is better than Cincinnati outside of tight end. Yep. Yep. I would agree. Um, they got a good running back. That kid's good. He's special, but um, I like the Bengals offensive line a lot better. When they play like they did the other day, when they and everyone had good grades. I don't know. I, I I'm addicted to looking at the uh, the uh, route tree for Jamar Chase week after week, and his route tree this week was all over the place. It was the the most intersecting lines that I've seen uh, for his his routes that they ran, as opposed to just up and down the sidelines in those go routes. So amazing what happens when you start to create plays for him outside of just the sideline stuff. And that, and that's a guy who can make a guy miss. We talked yeah. about that with the UC running backs, but even if you hit him on a slant, you've got a chance for a big gain. I mean, just get the ball in his hands. So I don't have too much more on the Bengals. Uh, just happy to get a win. And uh, I don't know. It, it's It's – Turning out to be a weird season, as the NFL generally does. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, I mean, the, you can't. It's it's hard to predict this stuff, man. In the NFL, it's a the minute you buy into a team, they have a clunker, and and you know, I mean, my God, the Bengals go out and they they improve the offensive line, and then it looks like garbage for a couple of games, mm-hmm. and but you just never know. I, they look, they've got the talent. Uh, they they could still be who we think they are, and and we'll see. Plenty of football left. What do you think about the Reds and Bono? They're going to bring him back. I don't know if they're bringing Votto back. I we've talked. I, I there, there's. I, I'll be shocked, absolutely shocked, if they bring him yeah, back with without. Well, I say that without at least the buyout. And, and bringing him back for a cheaper price than the, what, 20, 25 million that he's owed. Um, if yeah, they should not buy him. And then uh, seven to buy him out. Um, but does he even fit on this team? That's the thing. And look, I know, and he's, he's right. He feels like his last two seasons were robbed with that shoulder thing and all of that. Sure. And, and, and there's some truth in that, but he's also 40. Um, he hit 2-0 both seasons. Um, On-base percentage wasn't great, given how many times he walks. When you're hitting 2-0, your on-base percentage isn't going to be that great. Um, and then you're talking about a guy who doesn't run, 
as well as the rest of this team. And you got a young team that likes to run and take extra bases and steal and make things happen. And when the Reds played their best, they were hitting pretty much gap to gap and stringing a single here, stealing a bag, then another single and score. When they were playing their best, that's the stuff they did. I, I don't know that he fits it. And then you've got how many players, one, two, three, four, four guys played first base besides him this year. Plus there's, there's talk of maybe Jonathan India moving over there too. Um so I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a really, really going to be a fun thing to watch unfold for the Reds because, I mean, it may sound like I'm doubting Joey Votto. I don't. I just don't know that even a Votto that's hitting 270, does he fit here with this bunch? I don't know. And when you're talking. You also, you also with, wonder outside of the statistics. You also wonder outside of the statistics how much he actually brings to the table off the field. When he's talking to these guys and coaching them up and all that. That's what the Reds better have a handle on. And and if it is that much, then okay. And if they can work some deal that that they feel good about. But uh, I don't know. It's really interesting, man. I, I was I, – I don't know. I was, I was 50-50 as whether or not he would want to play again. But knowing him and his pride and what he believes in, he doesn't want to go out with these two seasons. He just doesn't. Yeah. And I don't blame him. And I hope he's healthy. And I hope he has a big year next year. And uh, if he does have a big year, I hope it's here. But I don't know. That's a tough decision for the Reds to make. I, I certainly, uh, I, I'm certainly leaning on the no. But if Cincinnati has a big year without him, how much does that eat him up? Oh, I would feel. I mean. <laughs> Well, but I feel bad for him. I, I would hope there would be a pass back at the end of the season so he can enjoy a, a, a nice little run with him. But, um, you know, I, I, yeah, you don't win with, uh, you know, you win with guys who get it done on the field, not not uh, all this nostalgia and, and, and feel-good type of stuff. You win with guys that – get it done. And he's gotten it done. Hall of Famer. No doubt. The minute he retires five years later, he's in Cooperstown. Um, I would love to see him go out with a bang here, but if I'm the Reds, I don't know if I, if I go that way. It's such a double-edged sword for both parties. Yeah. Um, moving on to your, your team, FC Cincinnati. They, Beat Inter Miami this weekend, and yeah. Messi is not in the playoffs unless, of course, the MLS decides to change the rules of the playoffs, along with <laughs> Apple and whoever else is paying Messi to be a, a part of Inter Miami. None of which would actually surprise me. Yeah, and the weird thing too about yeah, that nothing surprises me anymore. But um, the weird thing about this is here we are, and we knew this was coming. But you have all those uh, qualifiers and all these players go to play for their name. There's like a two week pause now until the final game of the regular season in MLS. And that's one of the things I just, I don't get about soccer. I kind of do, but it's kind of like, I, I don't know if soccer is going to be this international thing and it's all these cups they play for, um, then go do it. Um, but no, there's MLS here. You just wish that, you know, you don't play, and then you wait two more weeks to play the last game of the regular season, which maybe MLS needed to move it up a week so it's done. Then maybe have a little pause and get ready for playoff season. But but uh, at any rate, this team's got a good chance 
to win the whole ball of wax. You know, you get into those uh, single games after that first round. Um, but they'll be hosting. That's big in MLS when you look at the playoffs and and how many teams advance when they're playing that that must-win game at home. So big for the uh, city as well. Yeah, very good. I mean, very good. Um, you know, all that's going to be sold out. So, uh, yeah, but we got to wait two weeks to see the whole playoff picture. But um, Cincinnati can sit back, uh, win or lose against Atlanta in that in that game on the 21st. They've uh, got the best record in MLS, and, and they'll have that home field. Unfortunately, they, they aren't going to have the uh, the best record ever. Right, they missed that uh, on. Yeah, Wednesday. they missed that. That was, uh, <laughs> they kind of ran a lineup out in that game that kind of said, okay, they're they're wanting to like rest some guy, just you know, yeah. It kind of it was kind of like a reset for them, and so I don't think that was the most important thing in the world to them. Um, so I, 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 but they're right where they need to be, and and certainly uh, doing very very well, and kudos to them, and. Hopefully they run the table in the playoffs. All right. What you got on high school football and we will get out of here. Yeah, we'll get out of here. Chad and I are going to go to the Lloyd game. We're supposed to go Lloyd undefeated hosting Lexington Catholic, a couple top five teams in the state in that, in that, in that class. So uh, the uh, tickets are purchased, George. We are there. We're there. All right. I'll pay you. Do you want me to pick you up for this, this event? Uh, you don't have to come from Ludlow to Independence. I'm pretty close to Erlanger. Okay. I know, my, I know my way to Lloyd. I might, I might, I'll see if I can hit up the athletic director and uh, get us a little VIP treatment on Friday night. Oh, that would be cool too. Do you want to uh, hit somewhere beforehand or not? Well, we'll figure all that out off the air. Yeah. I mean, the Dixie Club's always an option. You ever been to the Dixie Club, George? I have not, but I'm ready to go. You've I never ready. been to the Dixie Club? The Erlanger staple? Is it on Dixie Highway? Yes. I've been by there a hundred times in. Two hundred. It's, it's it's right on the, the intersection, like that main intersection where the railroad tracks are and all that. Like the, what do you mean? In fact, I the know Dixie where, Club is the corner building. Yep. I know where it is. I know where it is. We'll start there. We won't do anything too 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 tough. My daughter's at the uh, Taylor Swift movie that night, so I'm I'm pretty good. Oh, well, then we may do something tough. Uh, <laughs> I do uh, have to get up at the crack of dawn. Apparently, we have to. We got a noon kick on Saturday. Um, oh, Aaron, you're going to be mad. Well, you should be all right, potentially. So, Lloyd, uh, you either have to be in the garage by 7.30 or it's closed until 10.30. Oh, I remember that from last year. Oh, and, no. Uh, yeah. So well, I, I should parade elsewhere. Forty-five. What's that? If I'm Aaron, I would get there about ten forty-five. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. What else we got? Oh, of course we got Brossard at Ludlow. The Panthers are on a three-game winning streak. Cuffcath looking to stay undefeated against Harrison County. We talked about Lloyd in Ohio. Milford undefeated hosting West Claremont. Man, Milford's having a year. Baden undefeated at Chaminade Julienne. Chaminade six and two. Baden, I still think they're going to win state. Indian Hill at Wyoming. The old good rivalry in the CHL. Wyoming escaped 
with their regular season winning streak in the CHL last week, winning 17 to 14 of Marymount, Indian Hill, five and zero in league play, six and two overall. But uh, if I have my info correct, the Cowboys have the home field. We'll see how that shakes out. So, uh, and then a lot of the the GCL South schools, they're all playing out of town teams. Big games there. They're playing St. Eyes, uh, St. Ed. They got big te- big games there all the way across. But um, locally, you know, those are the ones, local teams against local teams that I'm keeping an eye on. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up another episode of George in the Jungle. Again, special thanks to Coach Rick Minter for joining us this week. Cheers, it was, Coach uh, Minter. It was that was yeah. a hell of an interview, and and I got to got to hear some stories I, I had not heard before. So there's a hundred more. I mean, I don't, and, I don't and doubt the that. night the night of that Wisconsin game, me and my wife, several I don't know where we were, but at some point around eight o'clock after that game, we go in the Martinos, and there's Rick, with I believe his girlfriend at the time. Um, at a table, we sat there, and I don't know, we probably sat and talked and drank for a couple hours with them. It, it was a good time. Good time. I guess we'll leave the story there. Fill in the blanks as you will. Oh, nothing. Uh, <laughs> or two or three, thanks to that win. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think caps were involved. Fair <laughs> All right, we will see you back here at nine o'clock next. Tuesday for another episode of George in the Jungle. Uh, once we have uh, the Bengals and Bearcats back on track after the, uh, the the bye week this past week, so we'll see you next week. This is George in the Jungle on Bearcat Journal.